Companion. This is episode 46. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing DS9's seven season episodes, Inter Arma, Inum Sealant, Legus, Penumbra, Till Death Do Us Part, and Strange Bedfellows. Here we go. Inter Arma Inum Sealant Legus, Season 7, Episode 16, Production Number 565, Original Air Date, March 3rd, 1999, Written by Ronald D. Moore, Directed by David Livingston, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Andrew J. Robinson as Garrick, Adrian Barbeau as Kretak, John Fleck as Koval, Barry Jenner as Admiral Ross, Hal Landon Jr. as Neral, Cynthia Graham as Wheeler, Joe Reynolds as Hickam, and William Sadler as Sloan. On the eve of Dr. Bashir's departure for a conference on the Romulan homeworld, he is visited by Sloan, the director of Section 31, a secret and unsanctioned extreme entity within Starfleet intelligence. Sloan asks a reluctant Bashir to gather information on the Romulan leadership while he is on the conference. I just wanted to say thank you. For what? Allowing you to manipulate me so completely being a decent human being. That's why we selected you in the first place, Doctor. We needed somebody who wanted to play the game, but who'd only go so far. All right, so here we have the last regular episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the last standalone uh, episode to be broadcast anyway. Um, Watching this episode is, like, sad for me, because it, (laughs) in a way, it really feels like it's over. Like, all seven years are over, and you know the mm-hmm. rest is is an ending um but you know modern <clears throat> well not modern star trek now but, uh star trek um all, all produced star trek really was a series of standalone episodes you know mm-hmm. uh, right so as soon as we leave this you know the the final episodes that we're going to be discussing momentarily they really do feel so different um, uh, I think I mentioned uh, last time but if anybody's listening to this episode in time and I'll remind you at the end of the episode but uh, we're going to be joining um, Trekmate for their um, uh, 24-hour potathon, Star Trek potathon for charity, good cause we'll talk about it at the end of the episode one, uh, but one of the things we're going to talk about with them I believe is uh, future Trek and how it needs to differ um, and these these standalone episodes, in a way, feel more dated. Uh, but <laughs> you know, the part of you that uh, grew up with this stuff, you know, this is Deep Space Nine, and this is the last of it. And I don't know, it just felt really sad to me to watch watching this episode and and to know how many times in my life am I going to watch DS Nine, you know, uh, and. and this is the last one. So, mm-hmm. um, what do you guys think of this episode now that I've not talked about it at all for the first couple minutes? Um, I liked it. It's entertaining. It's that, um, I mean, I think we can all agree that we like the, um, the section 31 storyline. Um, now this is only Sloan. This is Sloan's first reappearance, right? I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is a continuation from the first time we saw him where, uh, section 31 recruited Bashir. Yeah. Right, and we kind of we ended with what um, Cisco saying he would say yes the next time yes. Sloan appeared to him. Even though he really didn't say yes, he said no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I uh, I liked it fine, and I think it's interesting. Um, I I also feel it's a bit convoluted. I think it it's kind of gets <laughs> I don't know if plot heavy is a is a word or a. Description, but that's what it feels like. It feels like it's trying to be very much this, then this, then this, then this, and there's not so much uh, in terms of relationships, which I think is the strength of the series, you know. So I think it's just kind of a it plods along with a plot point, plot point, plot point. It ends up being kind of convoluted. I mean, I like Section Thirty One. I like Sloan, um, but I mean, I think it could be better. You know, I think this is a good episode, um, but I know what holds it back just a bit for me, like good versus great um this episode feels a bit like it's trying to be pale moonlight a little Mm -hmm. what makes pale moonlight so good is to have 
Cisco really on both sides of that thing. And I think what maybe they were shooting for and they, they missed a little bit in this episode is um, that in the end, Bashir, he really was on the on the good what we would call the good side the whole time right he's a good guy yeah he never does i guess they 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 give ross the chance a little bit to to uh you know admiral ross to play both sides of hair but you know it would have been bashir as we wanted to see in that who i wanted to see in that situation who i wanted to see make a tough decision like that and he really doesn't he's just being led along by section and now it's still incredibly entertaining it's very good I like this episode, but I think for those reasons, um, and instead of having there be some, like you were saying, Steve, some interpersonal, some some real character stuff with Bashir there, uh, they they try and create the the drama and the suspense uh, with a lot of plot stuff. So it is mm-hmm. it is very heavy, and in the end, maybe that does on repeated viewings that doesn't hold up as well as the Pale Moonlight route. Um, so I remember liking this much more than I liked it this time, but I still liked it this time. You know, I still mm-hmm. like Sloan. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Bringing Adrian Barbeau in as a Cree tech. Mm-hmm. Now that was played by a different actress in the, was it the first two episodes of this season? I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, so different that if you didn't know the name was the same, I don't even, I mean, if it weren't for the name, I wouldn't, it wouldn't even occur to me. It's the same character because yeah, I like the way Barbo plays her a lot, you know, played very differently. Um, but, you know, uh, and of course, uh, Sadler returning as Sloan is Sadler's so good. Um, that first scene when he comes in, uh, he just walks up there and says he's a cartographer, you know, walks up. <laughs> well, he knows, the, he knows the reference to um, never say die. It's kind of off the cuff. I thought that was kind of interesting. He's right there. No, um, it's it's cool. It's good. Um, and a lot of this, for some reason, you know, a lot of this Romulan stuff reminds me of Next Gen. I guess Next Gen did a lot more Rom- with the Romulans mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. But that's always fun. You've got a couple of the characters again. I think they were recast, but a couple of the characters in here, at least one, the the one that's presiding over that thing at the end was was from um, was from Next Gen. Yeah. So you know, there, there's some, there's a lot of fun stuff like that in here. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's kind of a showcase for that. Now, everything you mentioned, then you have like the, you know, the dress uniforms introduced in Insurrection. You have um, what Is else? Mm-hmm. White uniforms in this? Well, outside Insurrection. <laughs> yeah, I think I think this is the first time we see those outside Insurrection in this. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. usually it was like what the red, just it was always the color that they were worn, but it was more like a gown. Right, right. Well, same thing they did because first contact, you know, they waited until the movie aired. Yeah. Right. Not too long after the movie came out. But um, I did have a question. Why did they, it was, um, so Bada Bing was filmed actually after this episode. Why did they, um, I know I didn't really ask this question last time. Why did they not, I think maybe this episode would have fit a little bit better if the Bada Bing played and then we started this whole long series i mean um i don't think it would have made a difference to me because those last you know nine or ten episodes uh they really are such a separate standalone kind of thing they're they're, they are an ending and these are all those standalone episodes um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i don't i don't know why they did it this way but i don't think it would have made a difference to me no um I'm wondering, um, you know, Bashir, Bashir decides to go to Senator Kretak. All right, Kretak's the senator, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, should, would it have made more sense to go? That my, my problem with this episode, my problem, that's even too extreme. On repeated viewings, one of the things that I think, and, and as soon as I'm thinking it, then I think, oh, well, then that means it's, it's a bit of a problem. Um, is it does seem a little bit contrived that he goes to Kretak and asks her to um, go sneak into Koval's records to find something. Yeah. Is that really what the solution to the problem is? And then, and then, and that 
Kretek's response is, okay, that's what I'm going to do, as opposed to her going to the the senator committee or the what. prefect, right? The- yeah. So it was such a perfect, like, it was exactly what Section 31 needed uh, him and her to do to get what they wanted, and that just seems a bit of a stretch. But again, it's the kind of thing I didn't, I don't notice on the first or second viewing, but I'm repeated. Kind of sticks out. I'm wondering, should Bashir have even gone to Kretek? What if Bashir had gone to Koval? Now we know because Koval was actually uh, the person that was being protected here that that would not have actually been a solution for Bashir. But might that have made more sense? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And, and, and in fact, I have, I kind of have a problem with anything when it's like it's a little too tidy. You know, like we knew you would do the following convoluted series of actions, mm-hmm. and you, that's what you did. You know, I mean, I understand smart people and predicting what other smart people are going to do, but at some point, it's a little that's that's the contrived element to me is when it gets to be that much. Like we knew you'd do this that blank 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 A to B B to C um, to make this convenient thing happen. We knew you'd do exactly that, and that's what you did, and there it is. That's that's kind of what bugs me a bit about it, you know. But um, yeah, yeah, and you don't feel that way when you're watching Pale Moonlight, right? Exactly. I'm not stretching by comparing this to Pale Moonlight, am I? I mean, it, it, no, it's just the kind of like your poor man's Pale Moonlight or whatever, yeah. Well, I mean, well, because well, Admiral Ross basically plays the part of um, Cisco in this. If you do that comparison, that's why it seems to me because he's the one who's making that decision, not really, um, not really our main character Bashir in the, in the episode. I just like played. when um, Bashir goes up to like shake his hand and then let's go talk in the office or whatever and just like within a few seconds all of us in a interrogation torture <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I, you don't see that coming I don't think um, it does seem a little bit extreme if he, you know what was I guess that's what he had to do to get Bashir to do what he wanted mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as we keep poking holes in this episode <laughs> did you guys buy it that it was I mean did you did you think Sloan was killed I'm sorry did you think Sloan was really getting killed no yeah, no <laughs> no um. hmm. what about this idea of uh, okay well what it's about right yeah. times of war uh, the law falls silent you know to me, the most interesting aspect of this whole deal is um, the, <laughs> the siren that I hear. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry, dude. I know I won't go away. It's out my window. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I thought I was going away, and then it just got closer. It is a rough neighborhood, you know. Caesar. It's like... It doesn't even matter if I shut the window. You can still hear it. They're like ridiculously loud here. <laughs> that they're going after. Ultimately, they're going after Kretek for what they think Kretek might do. Exactly. <laughs> I like the idea that that uh, Barbeau has presented this character in a way that you kind of feel for her. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that that's good. That is good, and but it's it's interesting because that. Um, you know, Ross's take on that is she's a patriot. You know, she seems nice because this is what she thinks is best for the Empire. But if what she thinks is best for the Empire isn't <laughs> in our best interests, we're screwed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of interesting, but that is the that, you know, dark underbelly uh, secret op thing we're talking about. You know, on the surface, maybe this other guy's more for war, but right now, that's what we need. You know? Yeah. What do you think about I, you know, I, I had trouble coming up with something except for the obvious what the title's referencing, you know, but I just feel that it didn't do a particularly bang up job of projecting that because of, of many of the flaws we've already addressed. Uh, we're talking me into liking this episode less. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mean to be doing that. That's just my opinion. Why, why that's okay? Because the other three episodes we're going to talk to you about today, I think, are great. Mm hmm. They're not good. They're great. So this one can be good. That's okay. We could say the end scene there at the very. I like the end scene where he does actually come back to Bashir, and you know he's in his room, and there's that. You know he's telling Bashir that he's the, he's what um, Starfleet Starfleet needs, and 
Section 31 is what's there to protect guys like him. So I, I like that little end scene there between Sloan. I think we can all kind of agree we like the Sloan scenes in this episode. Yeah. But it could have just been um, um, thought out a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and I don't mean to – what's his name? Barry Jenner, Ross? I don't mean to, to demean his performance, but to demean his performance – <laughs> you know, he he's a character actor. He doesn't have that kind of gravitas that Sadler has. Right. You know, so you've got these. You've got the Bashir Sloan scenes, and you've got the Bashir Ross scenes. And in this episode, they're meant to be nearly equal, but they are not. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I think probably like what they they never really developed Ross. I think enough to kind of put him in make him this focal I mean he's very much a focal character in this episode um, and I don't think there was an, enough development of him even though you know he's been around for a while he's pretty much been just a one dimensional character kind of the you know the patriot admiral himself as he describes um, his um, counterpart on the Romulan side so we, we could add a little bit more development with him if they wanted to try this with that, with his character yeah so this episode's worth it for the Sloan stuff and uh You know, I think they they had some great starting ideas, and it's a satisfying episode. But you know, by the standards of our show, maybe it doesn't hold up so well. And I think we're going over on time. Anything else you guys want to say about this one? I'm good. So no, I'm glad they're going to bring Sloan back. What one more time? Yes. So I'm glad that they do that. Isn't that Sloan's brain? (laughs) 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 Brain, you know, brain, brain. What is brain? <laughs> uh, okay, moving on. Six degrees four. Help me out, Steve. Inter arma item sealant legus. You. Um, Steve. Yes. John Fleck plays Chairman Cobal, the Romulan that is secretly working as informant for Starfleet Intelligence. His best track for his performance as Silic, the temporal Cold War baddie on Enterprise. Counting the pilot, Broken Bow, as two episodes, in how many episodes did Fleck appear as Silic? Was it four, eight, twelve, or sixteen? Oh my. Um, four. That is incorrect, Mr. Caesar? Um, eight. Correct, it was eight. Caesar, Fleck previously played a Romulan in Next Gen's fourth season in the episode. The Mind's Eye, which member of Enterprise's crew does Fleck as Romulan officer Tyback kidnap and brainwash in an attempt to kill a Klingon to sour relations between the Federation and the Klingon Empire? Which member of the Enterprise crew does he brainwash? That would be Commander Jordi LaForge, right? You are correct. To Penumbra, Season 7, Episode 17, Production Number 567, Original Air Date, April 7th, 1999, Written by Renea Caveria, Directed by Steve Posey, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Casts Include Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Mark Alamo as Gold Ducat, Casey Biggs as Demar, Deborah Lacey as Sarah, Salome Jens as Female Shapeshifter, Michelle Horn as Sagi, Majel Barrett as Federation Computer Voice, and Judy Durand as Cardassian Computer Voice. As Cisco reveals to Cassidy that he has purchased land on Bajor, where he hopes to finally build his dream house, word reaches the station that Worf is missing in action after a fierce battle with the Dominion. Due to strategic concerns, Cisco calls off a search party before Worf can be found. Overcome by memories of Jadzir's life with Worf, Ezri steals a runabout and goes in search of Worf herself. Well, a man needs to concentrate in the kitchen. I mean, you can't have people coming in and sticking their fingers in your pots. It's your house. I want it to be our house. Let's get married. Do you mean it? All right. Well, I bet this is one of Mr. Caesar's favorite episodes just because uh, (laughs) and proposes to Cassidy. Yeah. It's probably their warmest moment of the whatever, three, four years of the <laughs> Okay, now I just gotta say this whole finale thing. I don't remember. At, do you guys remember at the time 
being aware that this was the beginning of the like you know ten episode arc. I don't think I end. was. I don't think because I, was. I wasn't either. Now they did some ads calling this the final chapter or something to that effect. But either I didn't see those or I didn't know what they meant or something. Because I didn't – I remember it was two or three episodes in before I realized – no, probably more than that. Three or four episodes in before I realized, wait a minute, they're going all the way to the end like this. This is all the way to the end. It's not like some two episodes for sweeps or something. I don't know. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's so crazy because this is uh, this is what modern television is always like. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk more about that, I think, on our – on that potathon, so I'm saving some of that. But anyway, this is part one of ten. So here we go, and I got to say, the three that we're talking about today are all great. And also, the last time they did this, which was the beginning of season six, we massively confused one episode for the next, and we're probably going to do that again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I debated about us talking about these um, as one, but that seems really confusing too. So. Mm-hmm. At least for the, today, we're going to discuss them separately. That'd be a really so, long synopsis, too. <laughs> that's true. It'd <laughs> be a very long synopsis. Um, so this one, um, we've got. Um, well, the most interesting stuff in this episode for me is going to be uh, Worf and Esri. I think. Um, now with that stuff, uh, I, I love that moment when Esri goes into Worf's quarters. So Worf is missing. He, he's not returning from this. His ship was attacked or something, right? And uh, Ezra goes into Worf's quarters. And we get actual... There's a picture of, of Jadzia. We hear some audio from her, which I'd forgotten. I thought that, like, she didn't let them use anything. But wouldn't they have had to have gotten her permission to have this here? I don't know. Because, you know, at the end of the series, when they do that montage, she's actually not in it. And I always yeah. thought that was because she didn't give him permission. But anyway, we hear her here. Um... And it's, you know, it's pretty, the, every line they have is, you, you remember that episode, you remember that line, I did anyway, you know, so it was pretty emotionally effective. Um, so Ezra goes out and finds Worf, and uh, they end up on the planet, and, you know, one thing leads to another, and we get the Star Trek cross-dissolve that indicates sex happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which makes me laugh, and the, of course the next morning... Um, they're fully clothed. They don't even make get to the next morning. Do what? So it's still night when the um, yeah. Well, it, was, it was cold. No blankets, you know. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's me. That's why the uh, the Breen were there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's a great segment. We, you know, their um, their dialogue. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. You know, you can see how this would happen. You've got two, two, two old lovers, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much, you know. <laughs> uh, so we we've discussed that sort of thing before too. Um, Steve, what are, what are your thoughts here? Um, well, I'm I'm glad they addressed this with Worf and Ezra and didn't just, I mean, I think they did it the right way. I think it would have been a mistake to never address um, their past and they just don't want to talk about it. I also think it would have been a mistake to drag it on forever and ever as well. And I think early on in this segment, they they take care of it and move on, kind of, you know, so. Get the tension out of the way, right? Yeah. With the crosses off. Exactly. Um, uh, Caesar, what do you think about uh, Cassidy Yates? Will you marry me? Did you see that coming? Um. Well, I don't recall. What I, what I, I don't recall going back if I saw it coming or not. Um, look, I, just for the new listeners out there, like this is my problem with Cassidy Yates. It's just she's a very, very, very underdeveloped character. I was thinking about this before. I mean, what do we really know about her? We know she's a freighter captain. You know, she has a brother that plays baseball, and um, she went to jail for being a monkey sympathizer. That's all we know about her over, what is it, three, at least three seasons? And um, that's, it's a really big disappointment to me that they didn't spend any time developing an extremely important character to your main character in this show, that they didn't, didn't build a stronger character if they were going to do this relation, this, you know, marriage between a captain 
on a, an actual show. And that's what disappoints me about me to me about it. I don't really have any feelings about when he struggles whether to marry her or not because I never really had any feeling that he had feelings for her <laughs> ever. So they never spent any time doing anything with her. So and then they expect you to kind of care about her right now. And it's it's unfortunate because I really don't feel anything about it. I mean, I'm happy to get past it when they when they get past it. And that's how I feel. <laughs> Is your audio input still good? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, the, what about the uh, female changeling? She looked like crap, huh? <laughs> that was my first thought. You look like she's peeling. She's got bad sunburn. Yeah. Molting, you know, it's like they shed their skin every so often. Um, is this the episode? No, no, no. This is not the. See, I'm already getting confused. This is not the one that ends with the ship's meeting. Uh, okay. Uh, this episode ends with the the Breen capturing. Yes, the, that's correct. It, right. But, all, but also uh, Ducat as Bajoran. I remember that and being mm-hmm. like, holy crap. I remember clearly these last 10 episodes, all of which. Ducat is, is a Bajoran. They all felt a little weird because of that, like seeing Mark Alemo, like human, like mm-hmm. seeing not humanish looking, you know, with a Bajoran nose. Yeah. It made them stand out even more. It did feel weird, and I don't necessarily mean weird, cool, or good. It, I mean, they it felt, I don't feel that way at all now, but I remember very clearly the first couple times I, I saw saw him, it was it was just... It was such an odd thing that we've had this character as the main villain uh, for seven years, and then we're going to close it out with him as Bajoran. Um, it, it, it's definitely worth it for the stuff you get out of it. Um, but Imagine. Go ahead. What were you saying? I was going to just make a joke. Imagine that the glee of the act- I can't. What is the actor's name? Um, Mark he Lemo. doesn't have to. Mark. Mark. He doesn't. Probably didn't have to spend like six hours in a makeup chair. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then sure wear that. Thrilled. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're just gonna wear a nose the rest of the rest of the way. But did you? But does it? Does it feel? Now I don't feel this way. I'm just trying to throw, <laughs> as, you know, for um, Debbie Devil's Advocate here. Does it feel like uh, unsatisfying to you to have seven years of him as this villain and then to spend these last precious? Um, final episodes with him looking so different. I, I didn't feel that. I didn't have any problem with it. No, I thought it, I thought it was interesting and startling when you first see it, but I I, I didn't feel that way. No. No, I'm, I didn't either. I mean, it, it took maybe five seconds, but you know, once once he starts talking, that's it's Dakot. You know, it's I mean, Mark. He has a great voice, and I think that kind of yeah, made me realize it, that mm-hmm. he has a very powerful presence just by his voice, and it's very distinctive, and he's very subtle in his. Did Ben never deal with him? Because wouldn't shouldn't she know his voice or no? I I guess I couldn't actually remember. I don't I don't recall if they've dealt with each other enough to I don't know. Yeah. Well. Well, by the ex- next episode, they've dealt with each other enough. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she still doesn't know. <laughs> Another cross to solve is in our future, I think. Uh-oh. Um, okay, so what do you got for what it's about, guys? So then we can move on and talk about the next one. You know, it's, it's hard with these when they're all yeah, good like this. Yeah. Um, well, because the thing is, especially, it, I think we can go to like each storyline and talk about maybe what it's about, but it's it's going to be the same thing in the next episode. Um, well, well, we can kind of talk. I mean, well, if you look at it from Cisco's point of view, I mean, you know, he's got to deal with. Um, we didn't really mention the prophets. Is, is it, this is at the end of this episode, right, where he gets a vision from his mother, saying that that nothing but sorrow if he because him and Cassidy aren't to walk the same path. Yeah, and he starts struggling with that. I mean, it's. I mean, you know, you question. You know, are you supposed to do exactly what you're supposed to do? What society tells you, or are you supposed to make your own choices? And I'm, that's kind of a, a bad analogy to put it. But he he deals she with. She didn't mean to imply, uh, because he gets married. That's the way he ends at the end of the series, right? Like if he hadn't so. gotten married, he'd be living on Bejor in this nice new house that he built. It's not that of a. I I didn't gather that. No. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's just but yeah, that 
but yeah, going along those lines, that'd be the closest thing I could come up with. The individual theme of this episode it clearly has to do with uh, relationships and the choices you make in relationships and the, the the gray area of right or wrong and going with your gut or going with thinking about it, that kind of thing. That For me, that's that's what I got out of this most. Okay, well, let's get into the... They also said it... They also said a lot of um, the way you and Damar conflict up here, which we're going to get a lot of payoff soon. Mm-hmm. I, I love that stuff. I think it's great. But it gets much better once we slip the, the brain in there. Um, I don't know what Sleebok means, but when Worf yells it, it made me laugh. Ezri <laughs> <laughs> uh, says, I'll bet Jadziaka would have done it. You know. <laughs> So. <laughs> there's some nice ban- there's some nice banter between the two yeah, of them. Yeah. And they're, they're, it's it's like the uh, um, the anti heart, you know, where they where Worf and Dax were, you know, in the forest. This is mm-hmm. like the exact opposite of that episode because they can barely stand to look at each other most of the time. But mm. they're kind of in similar situations. Oh, well, let's get into the next one because I think this one just to get really good. Uh, but first, six degrees for uh, Penumbra. Oh, we got two for uh, Caesar. Uh, Steve, Deborah Lacey returns as Cisco's prophet slash mother Sarah. In which season of DS9 did she first appear? Uh, which season did she first appear? Was it the sixth? No, Mr. Caesar. Seven. You're correct, it was seven. <laughs> no, I meant to say three, damn it. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, three, nothing. All right. Uh, Caesar, in this episode, Jake references the fact that he was the one that originally set his father up with Cassidy. Name this third season episode in which Cisco and Son journey through space with solar sails. Mm, I'm going to have to pass. It's all you, Steve. I certainly remember the episode. Um,. It's not ringing a bell, the title, though. I'm sorry. I, I did use the word journey through space so that I wouldn't accidentally use the title of the episode. <laughs> it is Explorers. Oh, yes. Explorers. Moving on. Till Death Do Us Part, Season 7, Episode 18, Production Number 568, Original Air Date, April 14th, 1999, Written by David Weddle and Bradley Thompson, Directed by Winrick Colby, Music Composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Mark Alamo as Golducott, Casey Biggs as Demar, Barry Jenner as Admiral Ross, Deborah Lacey as Sarah, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, James Otis as Solbor, Salome Jens as Female Shapeshifter, and Louise Fletcher as Kai Wynn. Cisco struggles with Jake about his vision from the prophets. They warn he would only face sorrow if he marries Cassidy, and that he must be ready for a great trial in his future. Kai Wen has long awaited visions from the prophets, and now she has finally had one. They reveal to her she will be visited by a guide. The prophets hope that together they will lead Bajor's restoration. Shortly before Sisko tells Cassidy that they must call off the wedding, Dukat, surgically altered to look like a Bajoran, appears on the promenade. I'm just a simple man of the land. Of the land? I'm a farmer. I grow mobile. Your pa is strong, Angel. I don't know, Mr. Caesar. I think in this episode, Wynn has more than a vision. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Wynn gets cross-dissolved. Mm. Oh, my God. I could My I remember just those two kissing Wynn and Ducat slash, what's his name, Angelo? Angelou? I forget. Um, and she says, it's all right. The prophets brought us together. <laughs> wow, dude! You know, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember at the time seeing this first time how that was like. Oh, you know, it's the it's the two the the two devils coming together. Yeah, whatever they, you know, they should have. I think if they shot this nowadays, there would be like a close up shot of like each one's tongue actually coming out of their mouths. Yeah, like <laughs> slapping each other's tongues a little bit. Another <laughs> way, like old people kiss without trying to touch their faces. <laughs> 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 and, it, and they would just sit on that shot for a while 
that's the horror movie version of this scene. Yes. Oh my lord. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy. It still feels crazy to see that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of those great moments because you, you, you would you don't get that unless you've watched seven years of DS9. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. then you get how then you can really feel the nuttiness of it. Um the horror of it. Um but it's it's great and it's uh you know, it's great to have that kind of a, a visceral reaction to a scene, you know, that you know it, it works and it was worth it was worth what they've done. Um now you know uh, I think it's you know what I think is interesting is that it, there's this in, in this episode. There's the occasion of the, the rare admirable trait for Ducat, something coming out him doing something that you can't really see as uh, having, uh, you know, a, as a selfish intent. And that's when he's encouraging uh, Demar. I found you know because you yeah. can't really find like well, what's he getting out of this? What's he getting out of encouraging him to be a better person or something? You know. Well, but, I found that interesting, particularly because. In the long run, what effect does that help? That helps. To, that helps. Demar decide to um, go out take on his own. Control, yeah, like rebel, mm-hmm. and in a way, in a way, uh, Ducat encouraging Demar to become his own man again um, helps the Federation win the war. Yeah, yeah. In, in a way, you. Can, it's not. It's not that. Hard to connect those dots. Um, well, he lights, you know, he lights the little flame. I mean, you know, there are other obvious other things that build on that, yeah. you know. And and at this point, I don't really think Ducat gives a crap. No, he he's he's done with yeah. all that. I think yeah. he cares about Cisco and the Paw Wraiths. Yeah, right. he wants to do something to Cisco, and he wants to help the Paw Wraiths. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't think he cares about the war. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, yeah, because he's pretty much unaffected when you know he could, you know, because they tell him that they fa- he failed in opening the wormhole. He's pretty much unconcerned with that, you know. It's like whatever. <clears throat> but I I love that you know this the wind stuff here is, is just the best. That's that's mm-hmm. what I really really love. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because this is something true to Wynn's character that we've experienced all these years, but, you know, she really wants to believe that she's meant for something really important. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's, she wants power and everything, but, but she, she wants to believe, you know? She has this vision. She doesn't question it, even though she doesn't get them. Um, uh, Angelou, you know, Ducat just walks into her life and oh, he's the one, the guide. That, um, she she buys it all, and I and I buy that she buys it because she wants to believe. She she yeah. wants to believe it. Um, so I love I love all that, and of course we're going to follow that up in the most brilliant way to the conclusion in in the next episode we're about to discuss. Ugh, it's all right. The prophets brought us together. <laughs> is, that, is that a line you think you could try? Like. Maybe when you're a teenager. <laughs> Depends on what part of the country you're from. I guess so. And and what about this idea of uh, Cisco going against the prophets for the wedding? Yeah. Um, it creates I don't know. Pretty I, good drama. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I, I think it'd been it'd have been it, strange if he didn't do what he did. You know. I, I that's what I'm asking. Is it is it in keeping with his character? I would say yes. I, yeah. I like to do it yeah. that he does it because if he hadn't, he wouldn't feel like cis- he wouldn't feel like his own man anymore. Yes. Even, yes. even though I believe he's making the wrong choice, mm-hmm. it's the wrong decision in making it. He's still this standalone character that otherwise would have just been, you know, uh, Patsy's too strong a word. But he, he, was, he would have just been he would have just been. Um, floating down the river and the river would have been you know the current would have been defining his direction as opposed to he makes this choice so even though I think it's the wrong choice I like that he makes it yeah and it and it brings out it, it's a hum, it's a humanity issue too it brings out the humanity in him I, I think if he would not have done that if he would have just rejected her because he felt that's the right thing to do because the prophet's what they told him it would have been I don't know just, just kind of like the 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 thing to do because it's my duty and it would have taken the whole humanity out of the character or something for me 
I don't know, but what happened to him the last time he didn't do what the prophet said? Yeah, Jets well. Zero dead. <laughs> um, okay, so this episode ends with uh, the Dominion and the Breen Alliance. What do you guys think of that? Uh, did you see that coming? Those two ships flying? You know, is that what you expected to see? I think it's an interesting choice. I don't know if I necessarily saw it coming at the time or anything, but uh, it was cool to bring in another group, someone else into this. And I'd be really curious how they do the voice for the Breen, like the uh, you know the musicians and the sound effects people. What exactly that is? That's cool. Yeah, it's a cool little sound effect. Something that I think would probably be easier today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I like it. I like that they bring in this, this, you know, kind of powerful group at the last during these final episodes, um, just to really make it feel like, uh, you know, we're losing hope. We're losing the, the war uh, at the last moment. It's good. It's good. Um, I want to get into the last episode. Uh, <laughs> anything else you guys want to talk about here? Oh, I, I love that. Um, uh, Kai Wynn shows up at the beginning of this episode, walks into Cisco's office and says something effective. Uh, you know, I know you're getting married. You didn't ask me. You must have just, just you probably assumed I was too busy, but <laughs> God, yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing I was thinking about, so this is the second of the, of the 10 part finale. Uh, one thing I was thinking about was how it opens. Every single one of these darn things is going to open with last time on deep space nine. There's mm-hmm. to uh, modern television. You know, like for me, the, the best show on TV right now is, is Breaking Bad. That show is more serialized than any show I've ever seen. And they have never done a last time or previously or anything like that ever. Mm-hmm. Care, you, you're totally lost. Go to Netflix and catch up. You know? yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, that's one huge difference from, you know, uh, kind of modern um, um, television I think is that they don't have quite the concern um, I, get, I get them all the time on HBO get what? Um, previews or what happened previously or that like kind of thing. what shows? Um, all of them True Blood, news, The Newsroom um, you'll see it on um, no, I'm, I'm talking about like the beginning of the episode to say this is what happened in the last episode yeah they do that they do? yeah like I watched uh, I don't watch a lot of HBO shows but I, I watched the first season of Game of Thrones I'm not sure that they did it Oh yeah, they do it on the Game of Thrones. Did you watch it? Like, do you? Do you I'm gonna let me ask you. Do you watch? Are you watching it like on a nope. deep? Are, are you watching watching it when it, the day it airs, or are you watching it? I don't have cable. I watch the Blu-rays. Yeah, well, you're not gonna get them on the. Well, you get them when the, on the when they air on the actual episode. Well, that's just kind of weird. They don't put them on the DVDs or you know Blu-ray or whatever. But yeah, they they show that stuff on. At any rate, they, uh, it's, there's less of a concern with that sort of thing nowadays than there used to be. Because now, nowadays there's more, this is the reason, I think modern television, there's more of a sense of people do watch like every episode. Um, you know, and back then it wasn't, because nowadays people consume it in such a different way. People consume it on their TiVo when they sit down and watch a whole bunch at once. Or you look at Netflix and their they're most common, most common, um, more people use Netflix streaming to binge on television episodes than anything else. Than- oh, I would, I, I would agree with you that on DVDs, Netflix, or wherever, you know, iTunes, wherever you're watching it. But I still, they, they still, sh- when, if you watch the show the, on its first run, they still show that stuff. I mean, can you imagine, uh, you know, so this, this series concluded in, in um, uh, 99. Can you imagine in 99 if you'd missed an episode? What did you do? I know what I would have done. I would have called Steve and said, <laughs> usually Steve taped it just in case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have called Steve and asked him to send me a copy or something. I don't know. I guess that's what I would have done. Otherwise, how else would you have seen it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it. sucked when you, you had to wait for like the, the rerun period and mm-hmm. hope they re-showed mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, and if that happened during these final 10 episodes, you were really screwed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. there's going to be a rerun before the finale. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. But, you know, it's just one more thing where um, different well, television. Hey, quite, did, um, is it just me? I kind of remember Enterprise airing twice. Where they would show it the, the the first run episode, and they would show it again a couple days later. I, I think it did. Reason. 
one where they did, they did like uh well the last season I think was Friday nights but for a while they, it was like Wednesday nights and then they did another they rescreened that same episode late on Saturdays maybe I don't know why I'm thinking that I think yeah I remember I, yeah I remember that going on with Enterprise you know as a rule I I also just left my VCR set up my VCR <laughs> VCRs were these never mind <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well let's start with the last one uh, oh um, but first. Well, you know, folks, these last 10 episodes, trying to do six degrees for these are a joke. They're not bringing yeah. anybody new in, mm-hmm. and everything got, I've asked a million questions about. So I'm just going to kind of be, you know. General gonna, trip, yeah. Right, what's our score right now? Two, Rio nine, Adam. Rio Adam, holy crap. That's All surprising. Right. It's usually the other way around. It's time. <laughs> Here, Adam, and then Steve will get the last one after the next episode. So we're going to play a game called Who Appeared as Their Character More? Uh, Adam, was that Salone Jens as the is it Salome Jens as the female changeling or Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates? Who appeared as her character more? That's correct. That's the question. Um, I would say Penny Johnson. You are incorrect. Uh, Salome Jens Jens uh, played the female changeling in 15 episodes or 16 if you count what you leave behind is two and Johnson did it for f- did uh, Cassidy Yates in 14 episodes or 15 if you count what you leave behind so that is incorrect moving on Strange Bedfellows season 7 episode 19 production number 569 original air date April 21st 1999 written by Ronald D. Moore directed by Rene Abergenois music composed by Jay Chataway guest cast include Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates Jeffrey Combs as Wayun Mark Alamo as Golducott Casey Bakes as Demar, J.G. Hertzler as General Martok, James Otis as Sobor, Salome Jens as Female Shapeshifter, and Louise Fletcher as Kai Wynn. Worf and Ezri are beamed aboard a Jemadar ship, where the female shapeshifter and Throat Gore, leader of the Bream, the representative leaders of the new Dominion Bream Alliance, prepare to sign a treaty designed to destroy the Federation and end the war. However, Damar objects to signing it because of concessions made to Thorkor, which could harm Cardassia. Meanwhile, Kai Wynn and Dukat seal their bond by pledging to restore Bajor, even if the emissary stands in their way. There's a Cardassian patrol ship sitting in Launch Bay 3A, two levels above us. Computers have all the necessary information to get you past our security checkpoints. Why are you doing this? I want you to give a message to the Federation. Tell them they have an ally on first thing I wrote down in my notes for this episode was, Founder looks like poop. (laughs) 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 I think I really meant that. Like poop. Like, yeah, literally. Mm -hmm. Because I have a baby now, you know, so. Oh, so you know. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So. Uh, the founder meets with the brain. We've got this real thing going on. And Ezri and Worf are in prison on Cadassia. Um, I love that moment when um, um, Weiyun 7, I believe, yeah. <laughs> takes steps forward, gets a little too close to Worf, and says something about uh, knowing that Ezri has feelings for Bashir, and then... Warp snaps Snap. way in snack. That's very funny. <laughs> well, the be- well, the best part is right after that with um, when Demar just Demar is no, laughing. Just starts laughing. <laughs> yeah, and then and then I like the, the later on when he's talking to Wayne Eight and and he's talking about something. Oh, yeah. he says, you should go you misjudge me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you could ask Warp about it. He yeah. says, you said uh, you're not very upset or something, and then and Demar says, "No, you misjudge me. I miss We in Seven deeply, something like that." It's <laughs> yeah, great. So you know, we haven't really talked about Demar's incredible. So this is the episode, of course, by the end of it, uh, that Demar frees Worf and Esri, mm-hmm. um, and tells them to tell the Federation they have an ally on Cardassia. Now we've seen, you know, we we they've been setting up Demar. Uh, as this broke in person for a long time, uh, with his his drinking, it's gotten worse and worse. Um, Demar pointed out how broken he was, and or excuse me, Ducat pointed out how broken Demar was in the previous episode. Um, I believe this is the episode where Demar actually does like he, he's about to take another drink. He looks into the mirror and he just you know throws the drink onto the mirror, and 
uh, he makes a decision to uh, rescue uh, Worf and Ezri, and we know where he's going to go now. From from here on out, it's the redemption of Damar, right? Yes, yeah. And uh, his efforts to save the Cardassian people. So I like, I, I like how they went. They really kind of went like five hundred thousand Cardassian soldiers. That's a lot. I mean, think it is a lot. A lot yeah. of people. So they just really went over the top to give Damar. Yeah. I mean, you know, we were talking about how um, Dukat kind of started the. He set the flame for um, Damar and um, yeah. So it, you're talking about uh, Septimus three half a million Cardassian soldiers um, die, and Wayun basically let them die. And Damar asked him if he would do something about it, and he said he would. Yeah, he pro- actually did. promised. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, now, it's, it, it, mm-hmm. is that was that overconfidence? For I mean, Wayun never sees it coming that Damar would take this sort of action, right? Right, right. Is that Wei Yun's overconfidence, like Damaris pointed out, his problem? Yeah, I think Yeah, I would so. say so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think that comes, Wei Yun's confidence comes because he has absolute belief in the founders and what they tell him to do and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's to the point where he just can't envision anything else, and so that's a weakness. He can't sympathize with others and what they might be might be thinking or what my actions they might take if they if they don't believe in that stuff you know and it's and and demar he was he was on the precipice here and then just needed a little tiny push to go over and instead they just shoved him and that so it was was really obvious it's interesting from that point of view it's almost like the dominion the founders the dominion which is you know the founders Mm -hmm. the uh the jemhadar and the wayun the way the vorta uh it's almost like the founders fundamentally failed in designing their entire system because without any empathy on the part of the board, kind of the leaders there, um, they're, they're fundamentally not designed for alliances. <laughs> the very yeah. kind of alliance that is required here for them to win this war. I, I have no doubt that eventually... You know, they would have treated the Breen the same way they're treating the Cardassians mm-hmm. if it served their interests to do so. Well, and, that, and that's the fault with the founders. They don't believe that. Um, they believe because solids are solids that they have. They're not capable of that, or they're, they're, they don't understand that. And then you know, we can go back into the Odo thing where he he kind of brings that to the, his people in the end. But yeah, they don't. They they have absolutely no. Um, it's, a, it's not. A, they don't even have respect for solids. It's just, they just think of them as almost like robots. And if you think about it, the, all, the only thing that they, the only solids that they really have experience with are clones. You know, the Jemadar clones and the Vorta clones. So they probably, you know, tag every tag every solid like that is just a, supposed to be some sort of individual clone, mm-hmm. not an individual clone rather. Well, let's talk about. Um you know, win and, and Ducat a bit more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> them uh, lying in bed. I, I don't think they... My image of them in my, in my head, I remember them as laying there like eating strawberries with whipped cream. <laughs> <laughs> that's not actually what they're doing, but when I picture them in bed together, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pretty um, gross. Um, but... This is the episode, of course, where uh, Wynn has her second vision, I believe. And at the end of it, the prophets in the vision say, feel our love, the love of the Pa-Wraiths. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And now Wynn's reaction to that is immediately, you know, um, bring me the orb of the prophecy. I need to consult with the prophets. You know, It's almost like she's trying. Um, but, of course, the orb comes. The prophets do not speak with her. She later admits that the prophets never speak with her. Um, well, I think uh, I, I think the moment came when you know she you know she was really desperate, and you almost think that she's gonna she's gonna come out of it when she calls Kira into her quarters that night, and then Kira says, "Well, you have to step down. You have to give up all these weaknesses. I mean, you know that cause you to be weak." And then she's like, uh, "No way! I'm not. I'm not giving up power. She can't do it." And that's where I think, you know, that's where we see her for the rest of the, the series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I like that scene. I like, um, I, I, I really like that scene. It's a, it's a very brief scene when, when Kira comes to see um, Kai Wen, but it's very effective. 
you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. it's perfect uh you know so uh kira says you know everything will be okay once you step down and immediately the kai said now it's interesting by the way that the kai does not actually tell kira um she just says i've and i forget what she says like i've gone a bad way or something whatever she, says, she does not say the parais are speaking to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> right, yeah right. <laughs> i don't know if she could have come back from that one um but you know whatever she says and then and and so kira says uh, it'll be okay once you step down and then immediately wins like what no <laughs> can't step down Bejor um, needs me yeah so uh why why don't the pro- wouldn't it have just been simpler for the prophets to she opens the orb and the prophets come up and say, you should step down and don't, uh, don't give in to the power or something. I don't know. So it's interesting. I, I like it, but it's interesting that, uh, they never have spoken to her. Yeah. I'm not sure why that is. I think it's just for the sake of the story. Really. I don't really know yeah. why. Yeah. Legitimately without faith. I think she legitimately, uh, only cares about herself, her own mm-hmm. power, her own yeah. hubris. You know, and yeah, I think that, that that's that's that has they're not going to her. Hmm? Yeah, I would agree. With, I agree with you. Yeah, that's probably the reason why they don't talk because she's not pure. I guess I think, you could say. I, I think prophets don't actually mire themselves in what they think of as you know little bullcrap details. Which yeah. to them, who's the Kai? Who's the Vedic? Who's a farmer? I don't think they think about that, and it doesn't make a difference to them. You know, faith matters, and she doesn't have any. They don't have time for. Her. They don't. Well, it's even worse. It's even worse. It's not that she doesn't just doesn't have any faith. I mean, it's more like pretend faith, because yeah. you know she talks about that when you know later on in this episode when Ducat comes back or whatever his name, whatever we're calling him, right? We'll say Ducat. Um, we you know she tells him the story about when she first saw the wormhole. She saw nothing, but she had to pretend to feel something, and and you get a true sense of what she's been doing all these years. She's just pretending to be this person that she's not really. And that's probably why the prophets don't waste their time on her. Mm-hmm. What I do think is interesting, and it's been, I guess it's been fairly consistent over the series, is that you have these prominent figures in the religion, the Kai, and then of course Cisco as the emissary. Um, but Kira is always the religious touchstone for, I mean, for both of them in this episode is an illustration, you know, I mean, Cisco goes to talk to her about this whole thing with the speaking to him about not marrying Cassidy. And then um, the first thing that, the Kai thinks to do as far as how do I, what do I, how do I get this off my chest? What do I do next? She talks to Kira. You know, I think, I think it's, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, well yeah, Kira's kind of, she's always had that, um, that, uh, what's a good way to describe it? Not blind faith, but she has that absolute faith. Mm-hmm. If you, if you, if you know, she's basically, you know, you're right. She is the cornerstone because Cisco questions a lot of things. And we, we've seen it here in the last couple episodes where he just doesn't, what, what does he say? Or I don't remember what episode it was in when she's like, Kira says to him, you know, the prophets have always led you and they've never let you down. They've led you in the right direction. And he's like, well, there's always a first time. And he's implying that, you know, they could be wrong at some point. And so, yeah, I mean, that dynamic, yeah, and that that never occurs to Kira, ever. Not for yeah, long. yeah. yeah. M- meaning she doesn't believe it could be possible, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I love that uh, speech near the end there uh, that Wynn gives about the Federation and mm-hmm. is going to be like dead blow around like dead leaves before an angry wind or something. I forget, but. When she says, I'm ready to walk the path of the pot rates. Now, <laughs> it, is it a stretch for you guys? I, I don't feel that way myself, but I can see the argument that, you know, the Kai, the Kai of the Bajoran people by the end of this episode is all, it, you know, within one episode is, is ready to walk the path of the pot rates. Is that a stretch or no? Um, no, I mean, I think we've kind of gone back to what we were, you know, the Kai has kind of been gray for a couple of seasons. She hasn't been like, good but she hasn't been bad if we look back to like what was it season two where she was just kind of very not she's very power hungry and just would do anything to get it and hold on to it and this kind of takes us back to those that early kai win where we really where i really had disdain for her but over the last couple seasons it's kind of she's been kind of just kind of wishy-washy uh ducat says the perfect things to her you know Mm -hmm. Uh, you know uh go ahead 
live the rest of your life in Cisco's shadow if that's what you want, you know? Mm-hmm. You know well, he's the perfect manipulator. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's not like, I mean, everything, he's saying the, th- the very things that she believes. is kind of how she feels. You know, she does feel like she's deserves something more and, and that uh, she deserves this power and this, and this, this role, you know, in Bajor's future. Um, uh, so what do we got anything uh, for what this is about we I th- I definitely think that, look we've we've said the entire design of our podcast and our conversations has been uh, when we have clear answers for what an episode is about it usually means it holds up it usually means it's good um, it's it means that it's the ideal of the best of Star Trek you know when it has something to say and when it's really good just talking about the episode <laughs> means we're talking what it's about mm-hmm. you know it's you can't even separate the conversation, um, and that's that's what I feel like. All three of these first episodes of the uh, finale, Tedar, and especially uh, Strange Bedfellows, um, very good, great, great. I think these three episodes are great. Well, uh, the, the, this, this one tidies up really nice because every character is Dumar, that we've talked about: Dumar, Cisco, um, Worf, and Esri. By the end of this of, of this particular episode, they've all chosen their paths that they're going to take moving mm-hmm. forward um you know there was some distress among you know conflict uh, inner conflict among these characters in the, in the past couple of episodes but we get a clear sense of where they're they're headed there's not it's not very ambiguous you know cisco's going to get married he's going to do that life you know and kai win's going to you know follow the paul wraiths tomorrow's going to be a rebel um you know Worf and Ezri kind of come to an they come to an understanding about who they were and who they are now. So, um, mm-hmm. and that really, all these things really do. You're, you're right. All these things do a great job of setting us up mm-hmm. uh, to finish out the series, which is a nice reason too that for us to conclude on this one today. Because gotta wait a couple more weeks to watch some more. All <laughs> right. Anything else you wanted to add, Steve? I don't think so. No. Um. <clears throat> This was not no. This wasn't the episode where Ezri was hanging upside down. That was the previous episode. I believe that's correct. Yeah. I, yeah. I like that. That's that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you did, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, did, didn't she get like a wake up call and she had to get up in her nightgown? Wasn't that in um, the first episode? I, I feared you would have mentioned that when no. she was told that Worf was. I thought so. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting them all confused. It's been a long day. So I thought I'm. Just, yeah, probably. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Brian. Six degrees for strange bedfellows. So we're just going to continue that same little game. Um, we had three nothing. Steve, who appeared as their character more? Louise Fletcher as Kai Wynn or J.G. Hertzler as Martok? Hmm. These are hard. These are not intuitive because it, you you if you want to think of who's been in the series longer, but it's not always the case, right? So, uh, Hertzler. You are correct. It was Hertzler. Uh, 22, 23, if you count, uh, leave behind is two. And versus uh, Fletcher, 14 or 15. Hmm. What okay. Two. So. Interesting. All right. So, uh, three, one. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Maybe I'll just continue with this same who is in it more kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. Like I said, these last episodes are going to be tough to do this sort of thing. At any rate. Um, last chance to remind our listeners about uh, this coming Saturday, which is what day of the week? Um, it's what day? It's uh, the 15th, right? Uh, Saturday. The f- wow, is that right? Yeah, it's this Saturday, the 15th. Um, Trekmate. Uh, what is their website? I believe it's Trek, just trekmate.org, and then you can click on the um, let's see, Trekmate. Yeah, trekmate.org.uk, and you can click on the uh, 24-hour podathon to get more details about this great thing for charity. There's 24-hour podcast they're doing, uh, and we're going to be joining them for one hour, talking a future trek uh, at 6 p.m. Pacific time Saturday night, uh, and that's 9 p.m. Eastern time. Um, so, check us out. It's going to be fun. If I may interject, I'd also like to mention an unrelated news that uh, our uh, new album, The Solution's new album, is now available, if I can say so. Remind everybody who The Solution is. 
Um, myself and Adam Embry, our producer. And uh, you can just go to thesolutionmusic.com, and there are links there to our new album called uh, People and the Things They Do. Awesome. And I have heard it, and it rocks. Thank uh, you. Thank you. It's very good. Um, oh, and you guys did that extended remix of... Uh, yeah, it's not quite up, uh, up, up quite yet, but uh, hopefully by our next one, we'll be able to officially announce that it's up. But we, yes, we are working on an extended uh, version of the uh, podcast theme here, the theme song you hear at the beginning and end of the show, and that'll be available for download as well. So I highly recommend... Um, Checking out their album, Steve. You should put it put it on our uh, Facebook uh, page. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, Facebook.com/slash Trek Companion, um, and Steve's going to put a link there to their new album. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail dot com. Um, we do have a web presence at trekcompanion dot com which is a very small one, but it has a fun little bio on everybody, and you can learn more about uh, uh, the Solution Band there as well. All right. We made made it. You guys don't hear this part of it, but we did have some technical difficulties today. Uh, So we're glad that we made it, and now we're going to go to... Where are we going? Arby's? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) See you there. (laughs) Yeah. if, if you're not able to check this out on Saturday, then we're going to see everybody in two weeks. But at least uh, uh, donate to their charity if you can. Okay, bye. See you. Good night.